continuing this series entitled, uh, it's through the book of Daniel, Thriving in Turbulent Times. And so as we get started here, I want to actually lead us in a meditation this morning. And I want to lead us in the meditation around this idea, which is the idea that Daniel presents to us, is that the God who has gotten us this far is the God who will see us through to the end. The God who has gotten us this far is the God who will see us through to the end. So would you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment as we remember that God has plans for our lives. And if we could awaken and see that the life that we want does not compare at all to the life that God wants for us in Christ Jesus. And then there is a work of Redemption that God has stirred in our souls that he is going to bring to completion. And this work that God is going to be com- bring to completion is one that's going to be done in you and in me. One that God is doing in his church. One that God has done throughout history. And the God who is faithful in the past is the God who is faithful in the present and the God whose hand is faithfully on tomorrow. Can we sit and realize that this God is in control of all things and there is no detail of our life that escapes his control and his command and he works together for our good all things according to his plan and purposes. The God who has gotten us here thus far is the God who will see us through to the end. You can look with me as we study the book of Daniel today, and we see that chapter 12 brings some resolve, but not complete resolve, to the plight of Israel. There is resolution that takes place for the people of God in that they're given a promise of deliverance. And the promise of deliverance that the people of God are given is something that God himself makes an oath upon. He swears upon himself that he will do it. It will be done. Now, I don't know if you've gone through times of trouble, you've gone through times of turbulence in your life, but I know that I certainly have. And as we stand here today, we stand with a deep and sincere realization that God is going to see us through. And one of the testimonies that is there for for us to understand that is that we are all exhibit A of that example. We're, we're here today, and God has brought us here. I, um, uh, when I came to Orlando almost 15 years ago, I had no idea what God had in store for my life. In fact, my plan was very different from the plans that God has for me. So I was graduating high school. All of my friends were going to Orlando. I didn't really even have a roadmap for what I wanted to do. I just wanted to increase high school a little bit longer. You know what I mean? But, but be a little bit um, more cool about it and join uh, college. 
And so uh, my friends were coming to Orlando. It was, you know, by, by that point, and I don't know if it's still like this today, but, you know, Orlando was a, UCF was a college that I could get into. So that was pretty cool. Uh, so you can finish. It's not you can't finish. I did finish. It only took me five years. So um, came to Orlando and uh, didn't really didn't really know what was going to take place, except I knew that I wanted to have a good time, and I knew that I had to get good grades, because if I didn't get good grades, then I wouldn't have a good time, because dad wouldn't pay for this good time if I didn't get good grades. So the good grades were very, very important in that. And so my heart in coming to Orlando was far from the plans and purposes of God at this point. And yet I came to Orlando... And within just a few months, God had changed the trajectory of my life. I saw Jesus like I had never seen him before. He grabbed me. I honestly can tell you, Jesus grabbed me and he called me his own. And I became a believer in Jesus Christ. My whole life was rearranged. And in those times, I had no idea that I would be married to my beautiful wife, Carrie that I would have three beautiful children, that I would be a pastor standing before you here today. Those things were not a part of my plans, but they were part of God's plans. And if I could tell you about some of the difficulties that have happened over the last 15 years, the trials, the, the setbacks, the disappointments, they're all there. And there are times where they're punctuated and feel more intense than others. And those times are, are times where I have wondered, God, is this really what you want from me? God, is this really a part of your plan? Maybe you stand on the precipice of that today. Maybe you stand with that realization. Maybe there's these difficulties in your life and you wonder, God, are you going to see me through? But I want to tell you something, friends. God has us here today and it's not you who got yourself here. Yeah, and maybe you turn on your car and you drove yourself to church. But the fact that you are here with God's people worshiping our creator God is not a work that you can boast about. Not a work that you can say was your own, but a work that God has done and he has lovingly brought you along to be here this very moment so that you would know that his hand was on your life yesterday, that he is with you today and that his hand guides your future regardless of the setback trials and difficulties that you may face so i want to relate that to some thousand to a thousand years before the coming of christ to the book of daniel and as god's people were in a time of trouble and turbulence Daniel longed for God to bring redemption to the people of Israel. You might remember that when he was brought into Babylon in Daniel chapter 1, he was probably no older than 14 years old. And he was brought in, from captivity in Babylon into, or from captivity from Israel into Babylon. And he was faced with the question. Would he live for God or would he live for the world around him? That's really the question that we all are asked today. Will we live for God or will we live for the world around us? And the question came up to Daniel in this way. Would he eat from the king's table, being dependent upon the king, or would he be dependent upon the king? 
his true king, the king that has called him to himself. And Daniel, a man of firm resolve and conviction, even as a 14-year-old boy, committed himself at that moment to being the man that God had called him to be at 90 years old. And this is the man that we read about in Daniel chapter 12. He's a man that's weathered and worn. He saw the lion's den. His friends were brought into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar in his golden image. And they were brought to the fiery furnace where their God rescued them. Where Daniel in the lion's den, because he did not pray to the king at that time, because he bowed his knee to Jehovah, was thrown into the lion's den. But there, God was present and Daniel was saved. And this is actually the message for Israel today. God is here and he will save you. Isn't that good? God is here and he will save you. Seventy years of exile are wrapping up. And Daniel sees these visions and dreams where God says, the plans that I have are far greater and far more important than the, than the redemption of Israel at this time and this moment. In fact, God's plans are for God's people over all time in all place to see redemption. And what God does in these visions and dreams for Daniels is he gives him new lenses at looking at his plan of redemption for the world that he's, that Daniel could see his salvation wrapped up in it, the salvation of his people wrapped up in it at that time, in that place, but far greater, Daniel can see the salvation of all God's people wrapped up in it. And he sees that there's a coming king that's going to bring redemption, a king that's above all kings, that in this king is the king that every knee should bow and tongue should confess. And in Daniel chapter 11, we see that the kings of the, uh, in kingdoms of this world are those that rise and fall, but there is a king that remains forever. There's this pattern that takes place in the kingdoms of this world, and you and I can look at it, and we can see it, even on the cusp of our last election, that God allows kings to arise, that they become strong, and then God breaks them down. Kings arise, they become strong, God breaks them down. Nations arise, they become strong, God breaks them down. If a nation, even at its finest, is in power for 200 years, that is a very unique thing. And in Daniel chapter 11, there's this volleyball taking place between wars and rumors of wars of the Seleucid Empire that's in Syria and the Ptolemy Empire that's in Egypt, and right smack dab in the middle are the people of God, people that have gone through times of persecution and suffering, people that have found themselves in the middle of what would be the idolatry of the world or the love for God. We see also that there's a man, as it says in verse 20, the contemptible king, who rises to the top. And the contemptible king was a figure that we look back historically that Daniel prophesied about. And his name was Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV. And he was a man that set his heart against God. And when he went into Jerusalem, he wanted to make a pure... Hellenistic culture. In order to do that, he would have to change the practices of the Jews, the practices that they held on to that reminded them of Jehovah. 
and his deliverance. And so he took the temple of God and he made it an altar for Zeus. And they sacrificed a swine, an uncleaned animal to Zeus. And it brought the abomination of desolation that we read about in the book of Daniel that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24. And the abomination of the desolation was just a precursor for the abomination of desolation that would take place in the person and work of Jesus Christ where the Son of God was on the cross. God's holy, beloved Son on the cross. But within that, we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And that God used the cross to show the world that he wears the crown. And that all those who would trust in this Jesus, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, the one whom now we see in the new covenant, in the New Testament, that the prophecies have been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ in his first coming, Advent, the coming of Christ, and that he will also come back to make all the wrongs right and to restore all things to his plan and purposes. And there's other figures that get in the midst of that. There's what Antiochus Epiphanes represents as an antichrist, the one who is against God, against God's people. And we see historically that there have been antichrists, those who are against God and God's people. And there will come a day, as it says in Matthew chapter 11, or I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, through the end of that passage, an antichrist who will at the end of time set his face against God, set his face against God's people, will bring destruction upon God's people, persecution, danger, peril, sword. That will fall upon God's people. But those who are God's people will not be crushed by it, but refined. And God will make the wise wiser and the wicked will perish in their wickedness. And that's the message of Daniel chapter 12, is that God will deliver his persecuted people to the end. God will deliver his persecuted people to the end. This life is so amazing. It's filled with joys, it's filled with sorrows, it's filled with struggles. There are some days that we wish would never end, and there's some days that we can't get rid of fast enough, right? There is in those days that we wish would never end this, this feeling of warmth. And for those in Christ, we know that those days come with the gift of God's love and grace for us to cherish the presence that he's enabled us to feel. And even on those dark days, when we want to end and they can't get by fast enough and seem like they prolong forever and ever, God says that he is with us in the midst of the storm and that God is using those difficulties, those trials, even that suffering that's taken place in order to school us in him, in order to bring about a knowledge of God through those things. And that's what's coming for the people of God in the prophecy 
The prophecy is not just for Israel in that time and place, not even for the next 400 years that would be, we would see fulfilled in Antiochus Epiphanes, but we would also see the prophecy go towards the very end of time, the very end of this world. Think about that. This world will end. Though lives come and go today and tomorrow, this world has an expiration date. There is an end of time. And in that end of time, God wants his people to persevere through the end. There's some things that I want in my life and the things that I want in my life and I'm really honest with myself is that I want to persevere in some things. I want to finish some things really, really well and those things are is that I I say them often to myself. I don't want my kids to hate me. (laughs) I want them to love me. I want them to, I want them to, to cherish their daddy even when they're old I want them to have fond memories of me. There's things in that I can't control, but I pray it and I'm going to love my children and pastor my children as a result of that. I want want to die in the arms of my wife. I want us to be old together and to enjoy what God has given us on this side of eternity. And I want more than those things, my heart to be completely devoted to God. That he would be my everything. That I would love him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And as a result of that, my life would be lived for his glory. And I must, if I'm going to finish that life, if I'm going to live that life and finish that race, it's not going to be according to what I can and can't do. It's going to be according to what he has done for me in his son, Jesus Christ. And what he has done for me will compel me to the beauty of God that will show me that life is not worth living for anybody or anything else. If we could only see that the life that God wants for us is far better than the life that we want for ourselves. And that's what God unveils to the the nation of Israel. And that's what God unveils to the church there will arise a prince named Michael. Michael the archangel. He is the mighty defender who comes in the name of the Lord. His eye is on God's people and he will protect them. And there will arise at the end of the time this great and mighty Michael, the one who commands legions of angels, the one who has power and authority given to him by God in the heavenly realm to destroy the principalities of this earth and this world. And there will arise the mighty defender to protect God's children because here it says in verse 1, and there shall be a time of trouble when this angel arises such as never been seen before. There will be a time that the people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Written in the book. There will be a time where God's people will face intense persecution and suffering like never seen before at the end of time and it will cause this whole world to groan out. Maranatha, God save us. And as we groan for God to save us, we hold on to the promise that God has a book and his book has names written in it. And what gives us hope is this, is our name written in that book? 
Is our name written in that book? We see this reference to the book of life in Revelation. We see the reference to the book of life found throughout Scripture. And what is this book of life? Whose names are written in it? How are they written in that book? And the book of life is the book that has those whose names stand on the merit of Jesus Christ. There's no way we can get in the book by who we know and who we don't know on this world. It's not like we're going in the club and we say, I'm with him and we get to go in. No. No. Well, we do get to go in. Not into the things of this world, but we get to go in to eternity on the names of one man, on the name of Jesus Christ. And if you stand upon his merits, your name is written in the book of life. If you stand under the redemption of Jesus Christ, the one whose penalty, who has paid the penalty of your sin, who was crucified, dead in your place, who defeated death because on the third day he rose again because death didn't have power over him because Jesus was not a sinner and death is a result of sin because Jesus wasn't a sinner Jesus can both absorb the penalty of our sin in death and he could simultaneously defeat it by rising again on the third day. And when Jesus rose, God knew that was going to take place before the foundations of the world. And that book of life that has existed has happened before the foundations of the world. And all the names that were in it, God knew would be in it from eternity past, eternity present to eternity future. God knew all those names would be in that book. And God counted Jesus' works to be sufficient for us. It's called penal substitutionary atonement. Jesus died in my place for my sin so that I may be reconciled with God. How can we be reconciled with God if it wasn't for this great Savior? Because there's... Nothing that we can do to earn his love or affection. There's nothing that we could do to earn our place in the book of life. And whose names are not in the book of life? Those who stand before God, not on Christ's merits, but their own. Whose names are not in the book of life? Those who stand before God, not on Christ's merit, but their own. It's Christmas time. Kids all around the country are going to sit on Santa's lap and they're going to lie through their teeth. (laughs) Have you been a good boy or girl? Yes, Santa, we've been a good boy or girl. Oh my goodness, they are just, they're so adorable, they're so cute, but man, they're so utterly wrong. And I think about this because I took my kids to see Santa the other day and I said, Santa actually didn't ask them this question, which I'm glad because they would have had to lie if he did. What are you going to say? If Santa asks if you've been a good boy or girl, well, you know, the excuses come about. And we think that somehow, because I'm better than the other kids in my classroom, or because I'm better than the rest of the world around us, somehow we're going to be able to stand before this cosmic Santa Claus and say, God, I'm good enough. 
I mean, just look at the nightly news and you see the wickedness of the world around me. Just look at this world and how evil it is. I mean, I'm far better than everybody else around me, but God's standard of perfection isn't graded on a curve by you. God's standard of perfection comes for the one Jesus who is perfect. And the reason why he showed us his perfection wasn't to to lord himself over us in pride, but was to humble himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. It's because he loved us. And that standard of perfection is the standard by which we must stand on his merit or we will stand before God on our own merit. And the book of life is the one that brings unto people the righteousness of everlasting life or the contempt of everlasting condemnation. If you look with me here at verse 2, in many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Daniel himself and the people of God who probably were much better than the surrounding world around them. They were much better than Babylon. They were much better than the Persia and Greece and Rome and all those other heathens that came about uh, around them, but yet they were sinners. They had given their hearts to, pe- to idols other than God. They had given their hearts to the things of this world rather than worshiping their creator. And to them belonged contemptment. That's why Daniel in chapter 9 says, to you, O God, belongs righteousness. To us belongs open shame. And so if we stand before God, we stand realizing we are sinners, but we stand under the realization that we have a great Savior, and that great Savior has lavished upon us forgiveness that we do not deserve. And we will be brought into everlasting life. We'll be risen from the dust in the ground. Reference to in Genesis that we are a people that came from dust. We are a people that God breathed his life into us from the dust of the ground. And it is to dust that we will return. And it is from that dust that we will one day rise. Oh, how good is that promise? When trouble comes and trials come our way and we realize that not only the present matters, not only the future that we can see matters, but eternity is before us and eternity is the everlasting promise of life in God. A life of joy, a life of hope, a life of fulfillment. Friends, I am telling you, there is an utter lie in this world today that that is going to be boredom. Have you ever worshiped God and felt that experience when you know that God is present with you and you know that he loves you and you know what he has done for you and you gaze at the splendor and beauty of Jesus and you don't want that moment to go away? That is the moment that will never go away. That is the moment that will always be here to say, and the moment we get to heaven, we don't have to say, I hope this continues forever, because it will. We don't have to say, I wish tomorrow could be like today, because it will. It will be that way tomorrow, in 10 years, in the next thousand years, eternity will be glorious, and those who are resurrected unto life have that promise. And there is a warning here. Those who are not resurrected unto that life, will be resurrected unto another life 
which is called the second death that never ends. And this is a moment where we, where those who belong to the enemy will be in contempt forever. You know those moments that you wish would end and they never end? You'll, that, that experience happens the second you're there. And that second that's there will be a second that we don't want to be repeated but will actually be repeated forever. This broke my heart this week. This broke my heart this week. I've been asking God, God, give me a heart for the lost. Give me a heart for those who don't know you. Give me a heart for those who are far from you. Because the promises of Scripture say that those who die and stand before God on their own merit are those whose own merit sends them to everlasting contempt under the judgment and wrath of God. And God's wrath will bear down on their wickedness and unrighteousness. And what's different from us, from them? Is it because we're better? No. Is it because the resurrection of the righteousness is because they've just been these incredibly good people all of their lives and they sit on Santa's lap and they say, God, I've done good and so I deserve this? No. It's because we get the life that only Jesus deserves. Because he took our sin, we get his righteousness. And because we get his righteousness, we get the life that he deserves for all eternity. God gives his son everything. And because we are his adopted children, we are the sons and daughters of the most high God that he lavishes his love on for all eternity. And those who are not his are those who receive everlasting condemnation and eternal damnation. The Bible calls it the lake of fire the fiery pit. The pains of hell are real. And friends, if we don't realize that for ourselves, then we might not know the everlasting righteousness of Christ. And if we don't realize that for ourselves, then we won't proclaim the name of Jesus Christ as the most valuable thing in this world. The world holds up things of a lot of value and beauty, money, prestige, power, security, comfort. Those things are held up in high esteem. Your 401k, 403b, your health, your wealth, your prosperity. That's which matters most. And if the church buys in that lie, then the message will be truncated. But the church receives the message of hope in Jesus Christ and they see it as beautiful. And they set their gaze towards Jesus and they live for him. And this is the message that God gives to his people to where they shine like stars in heaven. Why? It's because they're going to be like Jesus and Jesus is the everlasting light. And those who share of his name in those times of trouble and they forsake the world in order to lift high the name of Jesus, they will shine brightly God's truth, not only in heaven, but on earth. Ah, friends, would Crosspoint downtown be a magnet for the unbelieving because we proclaim the majesty and the mystery of the gospel that's found in the Son of God. Would we be that people? The resurrection of the righteousness 
of righteous is the resurrection of us that has been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. And friends, may we be with God as he is here today. May we be like him. May we be with him. And may we live for him and count him worthy of our worship and praise. So there's a lot of other things that are in this passage that, quite frankly, I spent a lot of time on that that I'm not going to be able to get to. And this is what the Lord would have us study today because I do believe that the thrust of that message is the thrust of hope that's found in eternity with Jesus. But for the sake of not leaving you in a place of misunderstanding, we're going to go through this with the time that we have remaining. But I will tell you this, Daniel himself, in verse 8, says, I heard, but I did not understand. Anybody ever been there? Maybe you've read your Bible. Maybe you've read the book of Daniel. I heard, but I didn't understand. Well, friends, you're in good company. Daniel himself heard, and he didn't understand, and he's been doing this for a long time, and God's given them these special gifts of interpretation, and Daniel still doesn't understand. I heard, but I didn't understand. And then a little bit later, there's even an angel, or a little bit earlier, there's even an angel who stands before God and says, how long is this going to take place? Even the angels don't know the unfolding plans of God, but God stands there. The man in linen gives an oath, and he swears upon that, the king who lives forever. He swears upon himself, and he lifts up one hand to the sky and another hand to the sky, and he says, it will be done. How long will it take place? And there's these three numbers that are given. And friends, we could get lost in the details for these three numbers. But what we do see is God says to Daniel, seal up this prophecy. Seal up this prophecy. No one add to it. No one take from it. Seal up this prophecy. And it will be revealed at the end of time. And so that which is not revealed at this time are things that we may not simply know. We can get our mathematic calculators out and we could pull up these numbers. One's a time, times, and half a time. That's the half of, a, of the seven-year period of tribulation. Three and a half years, 1,260 days. There's another 1,290 days that we see was to take place between the abomination of desolation and the end of sacrifice. Is that the abomination of desolation that took place here in Daniel? Or is that which took place with Jesus? Or is that which is taking place at the end of time? I honestly can tell you, I don't know. I, can, can I stand up here and say those words? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. And then there's another number that will even throw you further because he says if those last to the end of this day, 1,335 days, that's another 75 more days than the 1,260. And you got all these numbers. And it's okay for us not to know because even Jesus tells us that only God knows only God knows. And he says to us, don't be worried about the details. You know why he says that? He says, be ready. Be ready for Christ's return. Because like a thief in the night, he will come and he will take what's his and don't be left behind. This is what matters, is that we persevere to the end with our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And so the comfort that we have is that God knows and God has determined the end. And so this time of prolonged suffering that has happened historically for the church, for the nation of Israel, the time of prolonged suffering that happens for the church in the end of time, and even the present reality of suffering that the church experiences today, we may not see it in America, but there's persecution, there's trials, there's tribulation, there are people being martyred and killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. That suffering will one day end. God knows it. God will deliver us, and God has a destiny for us, and that's the resurrection of our bodies, because Jesus Christ is risen. Friends, we are a soul with a body. We're not a body with a soul. The summation of who we are, the encompassing of who we are, is that we are not who we think we are in this world. Our identity is intrinsically linked to the reality of God. And it's more than what this world surmises of us. Our lives belong to God because our lives extend beyond our body. It's a great question that the whole world has asked. What happens when we die? Well, we don't have to guess. It's right here in the book. It's right here in the book. What happens when we die? We are brought into everlasting life or everlasting contempt. And God promises the ultimate restoration of his people at the end of time by refining them and purifying them. Look with me here at verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. God uses suffering, adversity, trials in your life in order to purify you, in order to refine you, in order to bring about your holiness and righteousness. God uses those sufferings. How many of us have had lessons that we wouldn't have learned if they weren't given to us through the school of suffering? We all have had those lessons, haven't we? They have been lessons that we would have wholeheartedly rejected, but now we receive with thanksgiving because we know that God knows a lot more than we do. And God raises us up in the way we should go so that when we are old, we will not depart from it because we are his beloved children. Jerry Bridges says the Christian life is intended to be one of continuous growth. We all want to grow, but but we often resist the process. This is because we tend to focus on the events of adversity themselves rather than looking with the eye of faith beyond the events to what God is doing in our lives. The book of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the sin and the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Friends, where is your gaze right now? Because Daniel's gaze is that which is on the beauty of God through the message of the Messiah. And that's why the man in linen says to him, but go your way till the end. 
you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. The righteous will gain an understanding of this because the wisdom is found in the wisdom of the cross. And the dividing line of all humanity is the resurrection life and the resurrection of contempt. And the resurrection of the life is through the wise. And how are we wise? Because the wisdom of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And right now, we look to the cross. And I want to ask you the question, this question as we close. Is Jesus useful to you or is he beautiful? Because if we're going to persevere in the faith, Jesus must beyond, go beyond a tool that's useful, but he must be a savior that's beautiful. Because if Jesus is simply useful, we'll abandon him when it's convenient. We'll reject him when it seems easy. But if Jesus is beautiful, our hearts will be so compelled to his beauty that we cannot reject him. The book of Colossians 1.15 says that he is the image of the invisible God. When you look to Jesus, you see in Jesus the face of God in Christ. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. Remember, you will rise, but you will rise because he has already risen. He is the firstborn. No one has risen before him, and it's because he has risen that all others will rise with him. He is the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Nothing has been made that has been made apart from his hand. He was with God. He is God before the foundations of the world. All things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, he is the one that determines the rising and falling of kings and kingdoms. He is the one that sets them up and breaks them down so that his kingdom is the kingdom that will last forever. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he, our friends, is the head of the body, the church. He is the one that determines and dictates and calls the church into life and into being and to behold the gaze and splendor of his beauty, to be the bright shining stars that eternally last forever. He is the head of the body, the church, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in all things he might be supreme. Because God was pleased that all of his plan, God was pleased that all things would be reconciled through him and to him. This was God's plan, not ours. This is God's work, not ours. And it pleased God that Jesus would suffer and die, not because God wanted to see that take place, but because God wanted to see redemption and reconciliation take place through the peace of Christ's blood shed on the cross. God always has a bigger plan. He always has a bigger purpose. And at the coming of Christ in Advent, 
we see God's plan revealed. And in the second coming of Christ, in the redemption of our bodies, in the resurrection of our souls, we see God's ultimate plan restored in the kingdom. Would you stand with me as we worship God together? Father, we thank you because there is going to be a day where you will split the skies and where you will come and you will redeem. You will renew and you will restore and you will judge. And we know that the reason why we're here today is because as your word says in Second Peter chapter 3, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Father, as we take communion, would you lead us to the cross in repentance? Would you lead us to the resurrection hope that we have in Jesus Christ that says our sins are no more as far as the east is from the west? That because of the work and righteousness of Christ, your righteousness is imparted to us. And that, God, you do deliver your people. That, God, you are the one who has gotten us this far. And you are the one that sees us through to the end. And we take of this bread and drink of this cup, remembering the Lord's death until he comes again. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would hasten that day so that we would see you face to face and eternally Enjoy you, the life that you've promised, a life that's better than we deserve. And it's in Jesus' name, the church says, amen. I'm going to ask our servers to come forward. For those who believe in Jesus as forgiver, leader, and Lord, come and take communion. And if you would have any questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you can see us at the connection table where we will happily share with you about this wondrous King and Savior who died on the cross for our sins. Let's worship God together.